0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to worship. Today, we are worshiping at home, which, when you think about it, was the original location for worship. For the first 300 years of Christianity, there were no church buildings. People worshiped from house to house. Now, it wasn't exactly the same. People in the early church filled their home with friends, something we are not able to do today. Some of you are sitting on your couch right now with your own family and with your dog. Uh, Since we started home worship four weeks ago, the number of dogs attending worship has skyrocketed. There's a doggy revival happening all across America right now. And let me tell you, your dog is so happy to have you home more. Your cat is annoyed, you're kind of getting into space, but your dog is very happy. Some of you are watching all by yourself, and I want you to know that you are not alone. You are part of a church family. You are connected. Today, we are together, separately. It's an odd scenario, one we've never really encountered before, but our sense of together is strong. I think we all feel it. While we aren't all in the same physical location, we are unified. We are one. We are, in every way, the gathered church. And so I wanna welcome those of you gathered at homes in Northville and Novi and Livonia and South Lyon and Farmington Hills and other nearby cities. I wanna welcome those of you from other states. There's many of you here today too. I wanna to welcome those of you who are visiting today because your own home church did not have the ability to live stream worship. And those of you for whom a church is not a regular part of your life but the current crisis has you looking for answers, welcome to you. Wherever you are worshiping today, whether you're watching alone or with your family, send me a selfie. Take a picture or a short video and send it to pics at P-I-C-S at ward.church or tag wardchurch on social media. I'd love to see some pictures of you at worship at home. For the last six weeks, we've been studying the model prayer of Jesus, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Today we come to the final line, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Now this word amen has come to be the signal that a prayer is over and we can all lift up our heads. But in the Jewish tradition, it was much more meaningful. It literally meant, so be it. It was the worshippers' commitment to do what they had prayed. It was a vow. Amen. Yes, I agree. Count me in. I once spoke for a friend at an African-American church in the city. The church was a little more animated than the church I usually preach at. In the black gospel church tradition, the sermon is interactive. In the suburban church, the preacher has to wait till Monday morning to get feedback by email. But in the urban church, the feedback is in real time. And when you're on track, someone says, amen, preach it, brother. And when you're off track, it's help him, Jesus. And when they say amen, they mean, I agree. I receive it. Amen. In some of your Bibles, this last line appears merely as a footnote. It's not in some of the earliest manuscripts, and many scholars believe this last line could have been added later. It may have been a line that Christians said in response to the Lord's Prayer as an affirmation. There was the prayer said by Jesus, and then there was this response, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Others think this final line was definitely said by Jesus. It is inconceivable, they say, that within the Jewish prayer styles of his day, that Jesus would have intended to stop his simply with deliver us from evil. At any rate, we do know that early Christians did actually use this line. This was part of the practice of the church within the first century of Jesus. This line is part of the Lord's Prayer that has been passed down to us. This morning, I'd like us to focus on three words, kingdom, power, and glory. And for each of these words, we will look at a Bible passage. Three words, three scriptures, and an amen. That's our outline this morning. And I'm going to share this teaching with a couple other pastors who are also at their homes this morning. The first word is kingdom, and the passage that I want to use to illustrate this line is the classic Palm Sunday story from Luke 19, often called the triumphal entrance. We asked families of Ward Church to send us videos of themselves reading and acting out this story, and they did a terrific job. Take a look.
1: So they will be reading Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He came near Bethlehem and Bethany, towns near the hill called the Mount of Olives. Then he sent out two of his followers. He said, Bring me a donkey! Going to town, you can see there. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are taking it, say, Master needs it. The two followers went to town. They found the colt just as Jesus told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why "Are you untying the colt?" And they said, "The Lord needs it. Master needs it." So brought to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As Jesus rode toward Jerusalem, the followers spread their coats on the road before Jesus is coming close to Jerusalem. He was already near the bottom of the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King. Hosanna! Hosanna!
2: Blessed is the King of Israel.
1: Blessed is the King who who comes in. The name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples.
2: They saw how many people were following him, and they were angry about it. They were jealous.
1: He replied, I tell you, if my followers don't say these things, then the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and the saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus said to Jerusalem, I was you, know today what what would bring you peace but you can't know it because it is hidden from you a time is coming when your enemies will build a wall around you and will hold you on all sides they will dash you to the ground you and the children within your walls one stone of your building will be left on, one on another you do not recognize the time when God came to save you. Happy Easter! See ya!
3: This is really the tale of two kingdoms. At the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire ruled the day. It was the largest, most powerful kingdom the world had ever seen. Caesar Augustus, the emperor, was the most powerful man the world had ever seen. He was devoted to expanding his kingdom, his power, and his glory. He ruled all of the known world. And at this time, Caesar Augustus was the king of kings, if you will. And then one day, on the back of a donkey, into Jerusalem came a king of another kind, bringing a kingdom of another kind. See, most of us know the the Palm Sunday story. Jerusalem was twice as crowded as usual. People had come from everywhere to celebrate Passover. And this this holiday was both religiously and politically charged. Passover was the time when they, they remembered how they had been oppressed by Egypt. And then God delivered them through a man named Moses. You see, Moses had defied Pharaoh, who was the most powerful ruler with the most powerful army in that day. You see, you fast forward from that day to Palm Sunday, and now the Jewish people are are being oppressed again. And this time by the Romans. And so when they they celebrated Passover, they longed for God to rescue them again. And a lot of what was written about the Messiah referred back to Moses because they all wanted somebody who would do what Moses had done. Passover was this, this time of great expectation and a renewal of hope. So Jesus enters this electric environment on a donkey, just the way the the prophet Zechariah said the king would enter Jerusalem. And the crowd goes crazy. Jesus, this fearless miracle worker that everyone has been talking about, is coming into town on a donkey at Passover, The the Messiah has arrived. It's it's time to party. They were shouting and dancing and high-fiving. But in their excited praise, there's an irony because the crowds have completely wrong expectations. So the people all waved palm branches. See, palm branches were a political symbol. On the back of Jewish coins was a palm branch. And it went back to the the, the Maccabean Revolt when uh, th- that had happened a couple hundred years earlier. And this symbol reminded everybody of military victory against oppressors. The people are expecting a political messiah, a military messiah. They expected Jesus to kick the Romans out and establish a new earthly Jewish kingdom. And so when the people see Jesus, they shout, Hosanna, which, I mean, today is a general word of praise, but it literally means save us. They expected Jesus to save them from the Romans the the same way Judas Maccabeus saved the Jewish people from the Greeks and the same way Moses saved them from the Egyptians. And it's interesting that in this description of of this happy moment of celebration, this, this party, come these unexpected words as he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. and you see, Jesus is saying, you, you don't get it. This is not about politics or weapons or elections or ethnicity or geography. This is not about which earthly kingdom is the best one. I've come to announce that the kingdom of God has arrived. There's another way to live. There is another king in whom you can trust. There is another realm and it can be accessed now. The good news is that The kingdom of God is present and available now and forever through reliance on me. You're looking in the wrong places for peace. And as I said earlier, this story is is really a tale of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Rome, and it's this this kind of kingdom and power and and glory there. And we're, we're familiar with that kind of kingdom and that kind of power and that kind of glory. And then there's this kingdom of Jesus, this whole different kind of kingdom and power and glory. Now, we don't live in a kingdom today. We live in a democracy. Problem solved, right? There's no more kingdom confusion here. You know, in essence, a democracy says that now each of us can be our own king. And in lots of ways, that, that's very freeing and empowering. We can chart our own course and dream our own dreams. But, but can anyone see a downside to growing up believing that we're each our own king? We become dedicated to building our own little kingdom to increasing our own power, to extending our own glory. And sometimes this is, this is obvious, but most of the time, this is very subtle. See, In the face of, of that, the, the earliest Christians prayed to God, no, your kingdom, your power, your glory. This is a, a prayer of surrender. The early Christians understood that they needed to surrender to the kingdom of God over every other kingdom. So let me ask you, where do you need to surrender? Where are you trying to build your little kingdom? Jesus tells us, when you pray, pray a surrendering prayer. Yours is the kingdom.
4: Well, so glad to join with you as we look at and a very important word in this prayer. As Jesus taught his disciple, yours is the power, this great declaration of the kingdom. In this prayer, Jesus is describing the very characteristics of what it means to be part of God's upside down kingdom. And there's probably not another word in this entire prayer that brings more confusion and questions than this word power. Now, what did Jesus really mean by power? And more importantly, how do we tap into that power for our lives? So first, what is this power that Jesus was talking about? It was probably uh, pretty misunderstood in his time. Power was always seen as strength and might. And most of his disciples, when they thought about Jesus' kingdom and the very power that he spoke about, probably was we're thinking about a restoration of the Davidic kingdom, uh, a period in Israel's time that where the kingdom was established by a strong king with power and might, and it had land, and it had uh, respect and honor in that area. And in the period that Jesus was, the Israelites had no land, they were under Roman rule. So when Jesus was talking about power in the kingdom, They were probably all thinking back to that Davidic kingdom, a restoration, reclaiming of the power and might of the Israelites. And they probably were confused even to those very last days Uh, as Jesus was being ushered into Jerusalem. They were thinking of this power of the kingdom. And then probably there was a lot of confusion as Jesus was taken away as he was stripped of his garments, as he was stripped of his dignity, they were probably thinking, where, where is this power you were speaking of, Jesus, as he was taken away and beaten, as he was crucified on the cross? Where is this power, Jesus, that you spoke of? Well, later, many years later, Paul would give words to the very power that Jesus was talking about. We find it in First 1 Corinthians one eighteen. It says this: For the message of the cross, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, for those who see only with human eyes, only through the physical uh, world, when they see the cross, they see foolishness. But Paul goes on to say, but to those who are being saved, for those who have called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, and this is the important part. It said he says it is the power. Of God, This cross that looks like foolishness to the world, it is the very power of God at work. See, kingdom power in this world is that there's this kingdom to come, this glory restored world, this kingdom that will last forever. And the power is that when it starts to break through into our current world, it pushes back against the division and heartache and the hopelessness and the brokenness. And yours is the kingdom, is a declaration of the future kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus is establishing through you and me as it breaks through in the midst of hopelessness. That's the power that Jesus is talking about. Now, more importantly, that second question, how do we tap into that kingdom everlasting power in the here and now? Well. Paul actually addresses it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it says this, but he, and Paul is referring to the Lord Jesus. But he, the Lord said to me, and now quoting Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, speaking to Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In response to that, Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships in persecutions in difficulties for when I am weak then I am strong. See we are so often tempted to perceive the world through the lens of looking at those who are powerful and we aspire to those kind of people. We think to those people that have authority to have who have influence who have money who have impact in our world. And we think if we just had a little bit more, if I had a little more money, if I had a little more prestige, if I had a little more authority, if I had a little more anything, then then I could be this powerful person in this world. But listen to what Paul is saying. The very things that we consider weak in our world, the things that we consider weak in our lives, where we lack power, where we lack privilege, where we lack resources, those are the very means in which God wants to display his power in and through us. Not kings or rulers, but broken vessels, broken sinners saved by grace. That we are the instruments in which God uses his power in this world. That we are the means in which he wants to unleash power in this world and I can't think of a more important time for us to tap into God's power not in the way we think it should but the way that God has designed it in light of this global pandemic where we feel so powerless okay, is it hard to imagine that in our weakness that God wants to use us to unleash the power of God through kindness through loving our neighbor and blessing those around us. And what we so often want to move towards the powerful, but let us be kind of the brave men and women that Paul calls us to, where we boast, where we delight, where we flaunt even our weaknesses, our failures, and even our pain point, so that Christ's power may rest on us in this time. Now I want to read Paul's word in 2 Corinthians uh, 12 9 over us again. And I want us, I want to read these words over you and for us to sit in silence and then pray to our God. Wherever you may be, whatever you may be going through, hear these words of promise and power over you. Listen again. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God, we declare in this moment that you are mighty and powerful. For by your very words, you spoke all things into being. And by your very breath, you hold all of us and the world itself in your hands. And Lord, in those moments we feel weak, in the moments we feel lonely, in the moments we feel hopeless, in the moments where we feel like we have no one to turn to, Lord, it's in those very moments, God, I pray that you unleash your kingdom power, you unleash the very full weight of glory of heaven in our lives for our benefit, but for those around us as well. For our lives are a living testimony, a living witness to the powerful kingdom at work, not just for me, but for my neighbors and community and the world itself. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
0: Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Now, before we talk about glory, let me remind you that Easter services are next Sunday, and I hope you'll join us for resurrection. The Lord's Prayer closes with the glory of God. And what a better way to end this great prayer. Dallas Willard examines the Lord's Prayer in his book, Divine Conspiracy. He writes, what is needed at the end of this great prayer is the ringing affirmation of the goodness of God in God's world. And if your nerves can take it, you might occasionally try whooping. I imagine God himself will not mind. I tried to picture how that would sound in our church. You know, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Whoopee. And I had a hard time picturing it. But we have to do something to get these words off spiritual autopilot. We have to do something to engage our hearts and minds in this transforming prayer. This week is Holy Week, and as we move through the events of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter morning, we are gonna celebrate the glory of the cross. Generally, crosses don't lead to glory, but Jesus was a different kind of king, accessing a different kind of power. Look at these words from Philippians chapter two that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The cross wasn't the end of his kingdom. It wasn't the end of his power. It wasn't the end of his glory, and one day everybody is going to know that. One day, everybody is going to recognize who Jesus really is. One day, everybody will bow their knee to the King of glory. I was planning to close our time today by reading an excerpt from S.M. Lockridge's famous sermon, That's My King, but I wasn't sure I could do it justice. S.M. Lockridge was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, a prominent African-American church in San Diego for 40 years. He passed away 20 years ago Yesterday, And I wanted to quote his great sermon. And thankfully, we found an audio file of S.M. Lockridge himself. Jesus is the King of Glory. And I'll let S.M. Lockridge describe him to you.
5: He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's He the lepers, He forgives sinners, He discharges debtors, He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble, He blesses the young, He serves the unfortunate, He regards the age, He rewards the diligent, and He purifies the meek. I wonder if you know Him, He's a key to knowledge. He's a well of wisdom, he's a doorway of deliverance, he's a pathway of peace, he's a roadway of righteousness, he's a highway of holiness, he's a gateway of glory, do you know him? Well, his life is vastness. his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough. Describe him So yet he's indescribable He's incomprehensible He's invincible He's irresistible Well, you can't get him out of your mind You see, you can't get him off of your head You can't outlive him And you can't live without him Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him But they found out they couldn't stop him Pilate couldn't find any fault in him Terror couldn't kill him couldn't it, and the grave couldn't hold it. Yeah.
0: That's my king. That's my king. <laughs> That's my king. And I wonder, do you know him? Because you can. Jesus will enter your life just like He entered Jerusalem, full of compassion, full of love, full of purpose. His humanity and divinity on display. You can welcome Him. Just say in prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my life, into my house, into my heart. I receive You. Be my King. Let's pray. God, on this Palm Sunday, we remember the celebration that that occurred when You came near. And we celebrate also the fact that You come to each one of us. We remember also the confusion of the people who misunderstood your kingship and your kingdom. And we pray you would protect us from misunderstanding. Give us an accurate picture of who you are that we may receive you well. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen
2: and amen. Well, before we hear from Pastor Scott, before he closes out a great day of worship together, uh, we have a couple questions for you just to help guide you in your conversations this week, whether uh, with a friend digitally or with your family right here as we close our worship. Uh, These questions can be found uh, in the on-demand section of our app, as well as on the website right under where today's sermon would be just by pressing the group discussion questions button. And question one, just want to give that to you right now. Uh, The good news of Palm Sunday is this. Jesus is coming to town. Jesus draws near. So what is your reaction to this statement? How does this truth increase your confidence or expectation? Just one of those questions. We have several others. Hope you take advantage of those as you uh, take a conversation further with your family or with your friends this week. So let's go back and join Pastor Scott as he closes us for today.
0: Thanks for joining us today. I will see you Easter Sunday.